Morning, church. Great to be in the house this morning. This morning's Father's Day, a day when we traditionally um, give thanks, really, for our fathers. We acknowledge them. We acknowledge the role that they play. And uh, we really can't go past acknowledging the Father of Fathers. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Father in heaven. Our spiritual Father. The Father who role models for us fatherhood. You know, I heard this week of a, a young man who went to his father. His father was in his study and he went to his father and he said, Dad, I'm coming up 16 and uh, I want to learn to drive. And his father said, yep. And then godly wisdom kicked in and he said, I'll tell you what, son. I've noticed that you haven't been doing much around the house recently, so maybe you need to think about that. And your teacher tells me that your grades haven't been as great as they might be, so maybe you want to think about that. And lastly, son, it's really time you got a haircut. The son had long hair and he loved it. And uh, so the son said, so the father said, those are the three things that I think you really need to think about. And I'll think about giving you driving lessons. He goes away, he comes back a month later and he says, okay, dad, well, you know, have you noticed any change? And his father said, yep, I have. So I've got to admit that, you know, you've been doing the dishes without being asked. You even mowed the lawns last week. Your room's pretty clean. So, you know, that's tick the box for you in that one. And he said, I was talking to your teacher last week, and she said that uh, your grades were slowly improving, not because you were more intelligent than you used to be, but because you're putting in more effort. And that's all I want to see is more effort, so that's great. And then he said, but they're here. It's still the same. And the son said, Dad, I've been thinking about that. And, you know, Dad, Noah had long hair. <laughs> Did you know, Dad, that Moses had long hair? He said, Samson, of course, had long hair, Dad. And then there's Jesus. He had long hair. So, you know, Dad, I've just been thinking about this long hair thing that, you know, if it was good enough for them, it's probably good enough for me. And the father said, Son... You're right. They did all have long hair. And just like you, they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> you know, wisdom from God. It's hard to beat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the privilege of being the vessel by which you will deliver your word this morning, Lord. Cracked, fractured, but Lord, a sermon. Lord, I declare this morning that your word is anointed this morning to reach hearts, to touch the hearts of fathers and parents, of men in particular this morning, Lord. And so, Lord, I, I pray as you directed in Isaiah 55 and verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, I just pray this morning that your word is anointed as it goes forth, that it touches the hearts and minds where you purpose it to be, and Lord, that it does all that you need it to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Father's Day, Father's Day. Today my message is called The State of the Nation. You know, Father's Day is celebrated around the world. 
And uh, history tells us that it really came about through a woman named Samantha Smart Dodd. In the United States in 1910, she was honouring her war hero father. And he was raising six children on his own after his wife died in childbirth. And I can tell you that that must definitely be a battle. He may have been a war hero in a real war, but he was also a hero in his battle of raising six children alone. Particularly at that time, the early 1900s. And so, by all accounts, he was a, a fantastic father, a great man, and she honoured him by introducing this, this day of remembrance. You know, it's been said you don't have to be a father to be a man. But I can guarantee you, you have to be a man to be a father. You have to be a man to be a father. Some time ago, I read of a couple in the United States, and they uh, had gone to the Supreme Court. They'd gone to the Supreme Court because they were a lesbian couple who had a child, and they wanted one of the partners to be designated as a father on the child's birth certificate. The Supreme Court overruled that decision and said, no, a father is a father. And they used this dictionary definition. They said, a father is defined as a man in relation to his children a male parent, and definitely not a female substitute. God made man male and female, he made them. Women are not and cannot be fathers. I want to pause at this point, and uh, I want to pray a blessing over those solo parents that have been both father and mother. I want to say to you that you have a calling on your life unlike any other is to provide for your children those things that can only come from two parents, but through one. It's an amazing challenge. An, an incredible, incredible calling. And this morning I just pray God's blessing on you. I pray that, like Joshua, you are strong and very courageous. I pray that the Lord blesses your efforts, the Lord blesses you and your children, the Lord raises them up, as you would have them raised up. If you're here today, you want your children to be godly young men and women. And I just pray that blessing upon you this morning in Jesus' name. Continue to do what you do. But today is a celebration of male parents. Unfortunately today, more than any other time in the history of the world, the family, and more relevant for this morning, fatherhood, is under attack. The role of the father has never been more challenging or demanding and fathers, would-be fathers, might be someday fathers, young men, and even don't want to be fathers. I want to encourage and challenge all of us this morning. Just as it was in the book of Esther, in chapter 4 and verse 14, when Mordecai posed a similar question to Esther, I take poetic license and I say, who knows if perhaps you were made a father for such a time as this. Never before have the role of fathers been more important. Never before has there been a need for fathers to stand up and be all that God's called them to be. You know, the, my own biological father was a, a violent alcoholic who abandoned his wife and his children. I was just four years old, the youngest of five children. I spent the next years, six years of my life in a children's home. No father, no significant role, role model, male letters, to direct, guide me, lead, teacher, encourage me. I became totally reliant on myself, a product of the orphan spirit. 
But that's another message for another time. Did you know that New Zealand has the third highest rate of children living in single-parent homes in the OECD? Some 23.7%. Almost one in four children are being raised in a single-parent home. The society in which we are raising the next generation, you know, the Generation X, I don't know where they get this from, is better described as the I-Generation. iPhone, iPad, iPod, I matter, I want, I deserve, I'm entitled. Increasingly inward focused and self-centered. If the going gets tough, it quickly becomes, I go, I leave, I abandon, I bail, I move on. Everything, including relationships and family, are mere commodities. Replaceable, renewable, and readily disposable in favour of I. Priority number one. Those sentiments and that thinking is diamet diametrically opposed to God's plan for fatherhood, for fathers, for marriages, and for families. Fatherhood is an extremely tough job, no doubt about it. And yet, where do you get the resources to become a great father? Where does that come from? Well, there's any number of self-help books on parenting, any number of courses, you know, 10 steps to being a great dad. But if you want to get truly expert advice, advice on fatherhood, advice on being a man, the only place to go, gentlemen, is the life manual of the father of fathers. This book, The Inspired Word of God, the Bible. You know, theologian Sinclair Ferguson said that the pages of the New Testament were so new because for the first time, men and women called God Father. Amen. Packer in his book, Knowing God, wrote, you can sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator God. Calvin noted that the first title given to the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. It's the spirit that sees us adopted into the family of God. Romans 8 and verse 15 says, So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And in Matthew 23 and verse 9, Jesus himself said, One is your father, he who is in heaven. And Galatians 4 and verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. <coughs> the term Abba is a Hebrew term of endearment like Daddy. A term still used in modern Israel today between a child and their father. And this reflects the kind of close, intimate, loving relationship God the Creator intends for all of His children to have with Him. We sung about it. We declared it. We lifted up his name. And those truths are so much so that he sent Jesus, his only son, to atone for all of our sins. Romans 5 and verse 8 reminds us that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us so that we have a perfect, loving, heavenly father who can role model for us fatherhood. But the question is, what does that look like? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, John tells us that God is love. 
And we all know that His love, His agape love, is unconditional and everlasting. In Romans 8.35, Paul asks, Can anything ever separate us from the love of God? And, and we might think that was a rhetorical question. Because three verses later, he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. So the first quality of the Father, therefore, is love. And just as God loves His children, each and every one of us, so we as fathers are called to love our kids. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times... There have been times when I love my kids. I just don't like them that much. You know, I think the same may be true of God. I mean, He always loves us unconditionally and forever. That's indisputable and irrefutable. But does He like it when we sin? Does He actually like anger, lies, uh, addictive behaviors, envy, immorality, drunkenness? Immoral relationships, lust of the flesh or the eyes, coveting, idolatry, you know, there's a long list that I'm sure God goes, no, I don't like that, I love them, but... You know, I remember tracking down one of my kids in the middle of the night. She was out, uh, not necessarily doing anything wrong at that point, but stretching the boundaries to where I found it unacceptable as a father. We as parents were concerned and she may have been at risk, and so I can tell you, at that time, I didn't like her much at all. Traipsing around the, the mutu at, you know, all hours of the night, um, wasn't pleasant. I did it because I loved her, because I was concerned for her safety and her well-being. Because as a father, her protection is my responsibility. It's not anybody else's, it rests with me. But wait, there's more. On another occasion, my wife's sitting over there, you're not going to tell me that. <coughs> yes, I am. On another occasion, we were preparing to head off to Auckland. Uh, and it was a Friday afternoon, so we are going for the weekend. And one of our little darlings, who I think was about 13 at the time, decided that she was going to stay at a friend's house for the weekend. They had planned something that was going to happen. And and so she decided she'd stay there, and instead of coming home on the bus with her siblings, she got a different bus and went to her friend's house. So we rock up to the bus stop, and the sisters say, oh, X isn't coming home. She's gone to so-and-so's for the weekend. <coughs> I can tell you that about now, like was not a word that I'd use. Uh, love, definitely. Like, no, I'm not really happy. I can tell you that only a shop has its benefits. You know a lot of people. And so, one phone call here sends you on another phone call there, and that phone call there tells you where the house is and who the people are. And so, after a couple of phone calls, we travel from the east to the west. Why do these things always happen in the west? We, careful, careful. We travel from the east to the west. And uh, we get there, and we find our little lost lamb, our precious sheep, our coin. <laughs> we find her, and as God-fearing parents, we observe the direction of the Bible. 
In Proverbs 13 and verse 24, God directs us that he who spares the rod spoils his son or his daughter, but he who loves them disciplines them promptly before heading off to Auckland. I, I just added, you won't find the Auckland bit in the Bible. Okay? I just added that bit. Um, but that's godly wisdom. You know, you look at me now and you say, wow, you know, great hair, must be old. No, no. <laughs> if I got the fathers to stand up and taught their children to drive or hunted them down in the middle of the night, you'd see that this is a product of wisdom. Amen. The Bible tells us that, by the way. Anyway, the point is that fathers love and never stop loving their children, even when they don't please us or in fact when they make us mad. And fathers, we're not perfect, we will get mad at times. What we have to do is manage that effectively and efficiently with godly wisdom. But nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, and in the same way, nothing should separate us from loving our children. You know, fathers also encourage their children. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, Let everything you do be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement. And in Proverbs 18 and 21, it tells us the power of life and death is in the tongue. Now, children need parental guidance and encouragement. It's not enough just to be the provider, go to work, ensure your kids have food, clothing, a roof over their head. Fathers, those things are simply great. Those are your basic responsibilities. But it's not enough. It's absolutely necessary for you to be speaking life into your children. Don't worry, there'll be hiccups. I've just explained a couple. You'll be disappointed, but let me encourage you, fathers. Those are probably the times when your children need to hear those words that build them up, that convey the most important, godly, fatherly message. It goes something like this. I love you. Despite what's happened, despite my hurt or disappointment, I love you. You are precious to me, you matter, you are valuable. I love you. In good times and bad, through the tough times and the challenges, I love you. I love you, and together we'll get through this thing. Together, you, me, and God. The eternal triangle. God always at the center. You know, with a child or adult, the truth is, when we fall, and believe me, church, we will all stumble at some point in time on our path to righteousness. We all need, every single one of us need, a helping and encouraging hand, helpful, uplifting words, Positive declarations from this book, spoken over us and into us. Amen. Your children are no different. And about here I need to make it crystal clear, dads, that loving your children definitely does not mean giving in to their every whim. It does not mean that their desire is necessarily what's best for them. You know, it's not right for unreasonable, unfettered, and uncontrolled freedom to your children. It doesn't mean giving them the latest iPhone or gadget because all the other kids have one, or allowing them those freedoms be beyond what you know are acceptable, beyond what you know are pleasing to God, or just because they might throw a tantrum, they might not like you this week. Fathers, you have a greater responsibility than that. You know, it means being a father. And being a father means setting boundaries. 
It means raising the expectations around such things as behaviour, attitudes, language, relationships, and respect. And before you go puffing out your chest and saying, see kids, I told you, it starts with you. Your attitude, your language, your respect. Role model what you expect your children to live up to. Establishing foundations on which good, loving, respectful relationships are built and maintained and disciplining them as necessary. We all know where that is, Proverbs. And as necessary and as often appropriate. Proverbs 22 and 6 directs us, Parents, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. And remember, Solomon who wrote this proverb was granted wisdom by God. Parents, this is godly wisdom. A God idea, not a good idea. To all you dads with daughters, this is just for you. Listen up. Pay attention, because it's critical. An American survey found that the majority of young women chose partners whose personal characteristics most often closely resembled those of their fathers, whether positive or negative. They've been raised with an expectation. Fathers, you're role-modeling husband behavior to your daughters. What is normal in your household, in the relationship you have with your wife and your children, may well determine what they will find acceptable in their own marriages or relationships. And the same is just as true for your sons. Paul told the Ephesians in 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and that he gave himself for it. You know, in meditating on this word, it came to me that probably because he knew for all time that fathers just like us would be creating a relationship legacy for our sons and for our daughters, good or bad. You know, real men love their wives and they show it. Real men love their children and they show it. Earlier in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, we read, for the husband is the head of the wife. I'll read that again. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also is Christ the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. In verse 24 it says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-I-N-G Everything! Yeah! That had to be John Moner and John is next was just for you, bro. Before you start puffing out your chest, gentlemen, and giving your wife that I told you so look, that yee-haw, you need to know that this headship this leadership that Paul speaks of is not being the big boss, not wearing the big pants for the family, so to speak. No, it's about loving leadership. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 that your wife is the weaker vessel. This is not derogatory or demeaning. It's not an insult to women. Rather, it's a compliment. It's a compliment to them, to their grace, to their nurturing spirit. It goes on to tell men that honouring our wives ensures our prayers will not be hindered. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want my prayers to be hindered. I want God to hear every syllable of every word of praise, prayer, and supplication. 
Women and our wives in particular are not less valuable. Rather, they are more fragile, gentle, and a strong, yet loving leadership. This is not a privilege, it's a godly responsibility, men. Now, one of the most difficult areas in this uh, husband-wife relationship is the area of communication between spouses. Maybe yours is great, I'm sure mine and my wife's is great, but I'm sure there's times when it could do with some polishing up. We all know that men and women communicate differently. The same words can mean very different things. And so ladies, today, this is the day when we're blessing men, and I want to bless them through you. Today I want to make sure you get something tangible to take home with you that will also benefit your spouse. So I'm going to interpret, to interpret some man language for you in a number of very common situations. Yes, I am. So ladies, when a man says it would take too long to explain, what he means is, I have no idea how it works. When he says, that's interesting, darling, what he really means is, are you still talking? <laughs> well, when he says, I'm sorry guys, I've got to let you know, I've got to let them know. We can't keep this stuff secret. When he says, can I help with dinner, he means, it isn't ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> when he says, uh-huh, sure, or yes dear, he means absolutely nothing. It's just a conditioned response. We say it sometimes, but we don't know what else to say. So if you hear those words, you know that he hasn't heard a thing you said. He's just replying because you expect him to. When he says, I can't find it, he means it didn't fall into my hand, so I'm lost as to where it might be and what to do next. When he says, I heard you, he means I haven't got the faintest idea what you just said. But I hope I can fake it long enough that you won't know that. When he says, I heard what you said the first time, and you notice that when they say that, voice goes up just an octave. I heard you the first time. Ladies, that, yeah. See? What he really means is, I'm going to throw a bit of acro in here and hopefully she'll back up and I still don't know what she said, but I'm going to fake it with a bit of acro now. That's what he means. When he says, this is an important one, people. When he says, that's not what I meant. Have we heard that? That's not what I meant. What he really means is, if what I said can be interpreted two ways, and one of those ways makes you sad or mad, I meant the other one. <laughs> That's what he says. And finally, this is my favorite. When I say to my wife, honey, take a break. You've been working too hard. I really mean, do you mind? I can't hear the TV over the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> So I'm sure I'm in trouble this afternoon, but I'm going to close with this next bit. Um, you know, I've been spending some time in Ezekiel, primarily in chapter 37, but I was drawn to chapter 22 and verse 30 in the preparation of this message. And in the, in the NLT version it says, 
I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. Fathers, you will not be a good father unless you're a good man, a God man. Being a man, accepting responsibility like a man, acting like a man, thinking like a man, working like a man, talking like a man, caring and loving like a man, are all prerequisites to being a good father, a God father. I thank God that right here this morning we have good men. I thank God that we have here this morning good fathers, young, not so young. Real men who I pray God will equip and empower to stand in that gap. Stand in the gap for God. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Stand in the gap for right relationships. Stand in the gap for your wives. Stand in the gap for your children. Stand in the gap for a family, unsaved family. Stand in the gap for family, friends. And stand in the gap for this community. We need it now more than ever. You know, we need men who rebuild the walls of righteousness. The Bible says that those walls guard the land. We need men that will stand in the gap that guard the future of our households of our loved ones, of our sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, all of our company. You know, a time such as this requires men, real men, lots of men, to stand up and to be counted. Our faith in the very foundations of marriage and family are under constant and sustained attack. The name of Jesus and His righteousness, His love, His power, His plans and His purposes are being suppressed and driven out. They're being driven out of schools. They're being driven out of government. They're driven out of every area of the public domain. And sadly, they're even lacking in some churches today. The finished work of Jesus at the cross has been minimized, as is the name of Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life. And today, as never before, we all, men, women, young men, young women, need to stand up against all of those things for the glory of our God, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Colossians 3 and verse 17 tells us, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So this morning, fathers, I encourage you, stand up, lead, encourage, and most importantly, love. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Pursue with all your heart God's personal plan for you and your family for fatherhood, for faith and for fellowship. You know, English poet John Donne wrote, no man is an island. John Donne was a Christian and recognized that we all need the community of brotherhood. We all need the community of fellowship. We all need to stand with each other shoulder to shoulder, arms linked, against those things that would come against our faith. Fellowship, being connected with other men, brothers who can walk the journey with us. Help us to avoid the enemy's snares and traps and help us should we stumble. If you're not connected, I encourage you after the service, talk to myself, John, who you saw earlier, Glenn, Lanieta, Pastor Paul, the leaders. Talk to someone. 
get connected. Become a part of the body. Because at the moment, the part that you are is missing. The part that you are is not there. And so we need you to be the part that you're called to be. We can only be complete when each of us does what God puts on our heart to do. Get connected. God brought you here today for His purposes and He wants, He needs you connected, supported, sharing and contributing to His kingdom. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So this morning before I end this message, I need to speak to all of our hearts, but in particular anyone who's here who doesn't have a relationship with this loving Father we've sung about this morning. This loving Father we've praised, this loving Father we've lifted up. Father of fathers, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, I haven't got it here, but the Lord's really been speaking to me as I've been delivering this message. And the message he's delivered to me is around knowing his heart. What is the Father's heart? I can tell you that God wants us to know what his priorities are. And he tells us way back in Ezekiel, we knew a long time, in verse 19 and 20, he talks about taking out that heart of stone. He talks about replacing it with a heart of flesh. He talks about the love that He has for each and every one of us. He talks about the heart of flesh being recognition of Him, of His tender loving kindness, His, his set love in Hebrew. You know, the last verses of the Old Testament say that in the last days, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. You can't possibly do that if it's a heart of stone. You need to have that heart of flesh that he talked about in Ezekiel. We all need to have that heart of flesh. And that comes only by recognizing him, by asking him to come into our heart to be our Lord and Savior. You know, today... You may be a father or mother, maybe single, young or old, but the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. It doesn't how good or bad you are, or how good or bad you think you are. The truth is that Jesus came in order to save every single one of us. No one is too bad that his love can't fix the things that are wrong. And no one is too good that they don't deserve or need his love. The fact is that we all need it no matter where we're at. God's desire is that none shall perish. All shall have this loving heart instilled by the Father. So right now as we close our eyes and bow our heads, I just want to speak to those people who are yet to make this loving transaction with our Father God. This transaction which sees that heart of stone fashioned by the Word, fashioned by our experiences, by our hardships, by the things we've gone through, by the environment we may have grown up in or may, may be in today. The fact is that that heart can be replaced by our Heavenly Father. He desires to do that for you this morning. If that's you this morning, if you want to know this loving 
fatherly relationship that we've sung about, that we've spoken about, that we've lifted up. I just want you to quickly raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll know that you want to make this transaction this morning with our Father God. You know, God desires that none should perish, that all should be saved. And this morning, all means all. It means you. Right now, if you don't have the guidance and direction of God in your life, I want you to put up your hand so I can see it. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to begin to walk on your journey with the Lord to help you through those things that you might be facing this morning. I'm not going to drag this out. I'm going to offer you one more opportunity. This is a this is a an arrangement between you and God. God wants to touch your heart this morning. He wants to replace that heart of stone that been fashioned by the world with a heart of flesh that He's prepared just for you. I thank you this morning. I thank you for your attendance. I pray that God will do the work that He needs to do to work in your life, in your heart, in your family. In your children. This morning as I close, I'd just like to pray that the blessing of the Lord is upon you. I'd like to pray that as a father, everything that God seeks for your life, the anointing on it, the blessing that you will be to others. I pray that over each and every father here this morning. Each and every young man, I pray that God will instill in you the heart of the Father. I pray that God will let you know that you are loved. Regardless of where you are, regardless of your circumstances, know the love of the Father. Know the love of Father God. Our young people, rise up in the knowledge that God is Father of all. That He has a perfect plan and purpose for you. You've heard that scripture many, many times. It begins with the heart of the Father for you, for me, for every single one of us. And you may not have put your hand up, but you may know that I was speaking to you. You may know that the Holy Spirit was stirring you. The time for salvation is not lost. You only need to come and tap us on the shoulder. We can make that transaction with you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. God's everywhere. He's waiting. His arms are open and He's saying, my children, I love you.